Last week we finished up the general prayer. We filled in the blanks, if you will, or went through the order of the general prayer and saw how it had an order that it went through, beginning with thanksgiving for all things, especially for the word, for the church, for the state, uh, then for our enemies, finally for the afflictions that are brought, not only the general afflictions which we have, but also those who are suffering because of righteousness' sake. We spoke about forgiveness being preserved in the faith, that we might be given a spiritual gifts, and that we might recognize our trust in God, and as the one who is the helper and providence works out all things. Uh, we also talked about the asking the Lord for the fruits of this earth, uh, that not only for government that preserves and takes care of, but for the products of nature, uh, for Christian education, for occupations for the work that we have, and especially for the arts and the sciences, all of that coming through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that, uh, we were, this is all after the preaching of the word, having heard the word and the preaching of it, so this is a, from that kind of a larger offertory. We have the communion, the create in me, and then the uh, general prayer. We saw that the we saw that after the general prayer uh, was listed the congregation praying the Lord's prayer. We noted that several of the things in the general prayer. Uh, were included from the seven petitions which serve uh, as found in the Lord's Prayer. This particular explanation uh, goes on to talk about why is the Lord's Prayer used in addition to the general prayer? It says because no act or service of prayer is complete without it. Christ's direction to his disciples was, when ye pray, say our Father, etc. Luther says, it is a prayer of prayers wherein our Lord has comprised all spiritual and bodily need. And so, speaking about how that generally uh, is, is done. There is uh, directions for a hymn at this particular uh, spot. Uh, having having received the offering and then the uh, singing the create in me and 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 the prayer, uh, another hymn is 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 to be included. Um, on the one hand, if Lord's Supper is not held, that is, you would have this hymn. You would have a benediction, and you would go home. Um, and so, if there was a hymn at that point, it would relate back to the uh, to the theme of of the day. If it is not, this particular hymn is intended as a 
preparation or preparing. It is a Lord's Supper hymn, and you might note that several of our hymns that are Lord's Supper hymns will some will will speak as if we have received Lord's Supper and we are done. Some speak as if I'm getting ready to go. Lord, help me with that. That is what they are uh, speaking of. That this character of this hymn might prepare for Lord's Supper. It also uh, gives designation that during the singing of that hymn, uh, the minister could prepare the elements, that is, bringing over from the credence table and unveiling and, and getting ready, so that the service of Lord's Supper, which is to come after that, it might be prepared. At this point, at least some have asked, you know, there is that... Uh, what you would say it. Uh, yeah, I guess you could call it an awkward silence. An awkward silence after the prayer, but before we have Lord's Supper, and Pastor and Deacon are working together to prepare the table. Mm. What about that? Pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to what? The preparation. The preparation? We're getting ready. At least Pastor and I are. It's a good time for self-examination. It is a very good time for that. Uh, the I, I, I remember in, in field education, I went, you know, you're underneath another pastor. You're supposed to go there and kind of help out and all. And uh, he had directed his organist that there was to be no silence. <laughs> and so... No matter what was going on, and if there was, and you know, walking, there was something like interlude music. There was always supposed to be, and, and it was kind of, it was interesting. I never quite noticed it at first, you know, until later. And uh, anyway, some have asked me about that, and I said, well, uh, Revelation eight, verse one. What is What's that? Um, so John is getting a view of heaven, and. Uh, the seals are being opened, and it said, and the seventh seal was open, and it says, and there was silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. I don't think it takes us that long. To get. We may be slow, but not that slow. Um, uh, silence has often been used in the church. Not only uh, prior to service, but especially at certain points, and this is one of those points in which um, to be comfortable with a period of silence. And I think it, it does kind of serve that purpose. Uh, nevertheless, the hymn uh, can, in fact, uh, do that. Uh, going back to Strodok, he's got a couple of things. Uh, how about the Vader Unser Bell? <laughs> wasn't quite this one. It, it would have been from the uh, top of the church. It's customary in many sections of the church to ring the tower bell. While and whenever the congregation is praying the Lord's Prayer, the ancient custom antedates the Reformation. It is one worth preserving for its simple purpose of reminding the absent ones, the sick and the sad, by its ringing of the prayer by its ringing of the prayer that is being said and inviting them, calling them wherever they are to join in that prayer. 
If the Lord's Prayer does not follow the general prayer, the bell would be rung when the prayer is used in the communion office, likewise not in the vesters. From this, the bell has been named the Vater Unser Bell. Often, there are things like that that have either called the church to worship or have reminded uh, that the church is praying and that maybe you would like to pray along with her. Or during the funeral, there is often the ringing of the bell uh, however many years the Lord has blessed uh, the deceased and, and things of that sort uh, and, and, and all. So uh, some things are, are included with that. Uh, 162. Two uses of the hymn. No celebration. Uh, it should harmonize with the uh, theme of the service. Uh, if not, this is one in which the uh, pastor can use a uh, communion uh, hymn. The sheets that you have in front of you. You've got a second yellow sheet. Let's move on to the exhortation in the divine service. The exhortation. This is uh, something that is included in uh, the old hymnal, TLH, and in Lutheran worship, but not in the service itself. It's not found in the page 5. It's not found in the page 136. It was moved from there to the corporate confession service, which is found later on in, in the hymnal. You should be familiar with this. I used this on Ash Wednesday as well as I think on Good Friday. Uh, and uh, that, on one of your yellow sheets, you should have the exhortation itself. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. says page 21 at the top and has the exhortation. If you'll read that, I'll pop mine up. Dearly dearly beloved, for as much as we are purposed... Dearly beloved, for as much as we purpose to come to the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes us diligently to examine ourselves as St. Paul exhorts us. For this sacrament hath been instituted for the the special comfort and strengthening of those who humbly confess their sins and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But if we thus examine ourselves, we shall find nothing in us but only sin and death, from which we can in no wise set ourselves free. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ has had mercy upon us, and hath taken upon himself our nature, 
so that he might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God. And for us and for our deliverance suffered death, suffered death and all that we by our sins have deserved. And to the end that we should the more confidently believe this and be strengthened by our faith in a cheerful obedience to his holy will, he hath instituted the holy sacrament of his supper, in which he feeds us with his body and gives us to drink of his blood. Therefore, whoso eateth of this bread and drinketh of this cup, firmly believing the words of Christ, dwelleth in Christ, and Christ in him, and hath eternal life. We can also do this in remembrance of him, showing his death that he might or that he was delivered for our, our offenses and raised again for our justification, and rendering rending, rendering unto him most hearty excuse me most hearty things for the same. Take up our cross and follow him, but and according to his commandment Love one another, even as he hath loved us. For we are all one bread and one body, even as we are all partakers of this bread and drink of this cup. Is that where you want me to Perfect. Exactly. Thank you. I got it up on the board. <laughs> the I'm going to try to deal just exclusively with the exhortation today. It does relate to a lot of the other elements, and as we go on, we'll kind of put it together, but you got to start somewhere. You can't get everything all at one time. So we'll take a look at the exhortation today. Just to give you a little bit of a history, as I've mentioned before, uh, when Luther comes to the sacrament and sees that the Roman church had turned it into a sacrifice, and all of the prayers that went with the Eucharistic prayer, that went with sacrifice and sacrifice, we offer this up to you, and we give this to you, and you're, uh, all of that needed to be cut out. Um, as the church went forward, they kept asking Luther, and again, Luther was a towering figure theologically, but uh, they kept asking him to provide a, a liturgy, to provide a service. And he was very reticent to do this. Um, you know, one didn't quite feel himself confident uh, uh, of, of being the liturgical scholar that, that had all this down, uh, despite the theological. And, I, and, and he, was, yeah, he was a musician. He, yeah, he knew a whole lot. But uh, The other thing was, he also knew that in Christian freedom, we could do it however we wanted. And so he... Even when he finally got kind of pushed into it, and kind of like, well, no one else is going to do this, I guess I will, he offered two different, at, at different times, two different orders, and said, listen, this is just what we'll do in Wittenberg. Um, if you find you know, that, that you wish to have more ceremonies or less, or however you'd like to do it, that's okay. He did two different ones. He published one called the German Mass, and that's on the back of that particular sheet that you have there. Um, the German Mass and Order of Service, 1526. In the German Mass, he was trying to 
because the Mass was originally in Latin, he was trying to provide for them a something that would be in German. All of the parts were written in German, and because parts of the liturgy had not yet been put together and, and, and in a way in which he, he really wanted it to be, they used hymns to replace parts of the liturgy, and this was called the German order, um, the German mass. It was much simpler uh, than, than the other. He also published one called the Latin Mass, in which the parts were still in Latin. If they sang the, like the Glory and Excelsis in Latin, sometimes they would sing the German then after it. And so they kind of put it together like that. Here's the thing. The German order did not have the, took all of those sacrificial prayers out. In fact, it even took out the preface part. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. It is good and right so to do that we should give thanks. And it took that out, and it included the exhortation. Well, I'll get to that. It's kind of down here. Um, but in the Latin Mass, he kept the preface and didn't have the exhortation. Uh, okay. So, you know, a little bit different. As things went on, the church kind of had to figure out, yeah, how's this going to work? Where are we going to put the exhortation? And are we going to use it with the preface, or are we going to replace the preface? Uh, these kind of things. Um, here is Luther with the German. And, and I want to read it because I think it serves as a good connection where you can see what he's doing with the Lord's Prayer. Luther says, when you get to the German Mass, that there ought to be a prayer. After the sermon shall follow a public paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to see what Luther does is he puts together a prayer that's kind of based on the Lord's Prayer. So instead of a general prayer, you've got this paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. Later, the church has this general prayer that follows. And as Luther goes on to say at the end of this, he says, listen, don't just do this anywhere you want. Let's get it to a fixed prayer and then we'll keep it together. Well, that's what the church did. We followed his, his guidance. He also says that there ought to be an admonition for those who want to partake of the sacrament. You can do it in this or in a better fashion if, if you so see fit. So what do we have? Friends in Christ, since we are here assembled in the name of the Lord to receive his holy testament, I admonish you first of all to lift up your hearts to God to pray with me the Lord's Prayer as Christ our Lord has taught us and graciously promised to hear us. That... God, our Father in heaven, may look with mercy on us, his needy children on earth, and grant us grace, so that his holy name be hallowed by us and all the world, through the pure and the true teaching of his word and the fervent love of our lives, and that he would graciously turn from us all false doctrine and evil living, whereby his precious name is being blasphemed and profaned. That is, hallowed be thy name. That his kingdom may come to us and expand, that all transgressors and they who are blinded and bound in the devil's kingdom be brought to know Jesus Christ, his son, by faith, and that the number of Christians be increased. Thy kingdom come. That we may be strengthened by his spirit to do and to suffer his will, both in life and in death, in good things and in evil things, and always to break and slay and sacrifice our own wills 
<coughs> that he would also give us our daily bread, preserve us from greed and selfish cares, and help us to trust that he would provide for all our needs. Daily bread. Five, that he would forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, so that our hearts may rest and rejoice in a good conscience before him, and that no sin may ever fright or alarm us. That he would lead us into temptation, but help us by his spirit to subdue the flesh, to despise the world and its ways, and to overcome the devil with all his wiles. And lastly, that he would deliver us from all evil, both of body and soul, now and forever. And so you can see where Luther is saying, let us pray together, and he has this kind of paraphrase. All those who earnestly desire these things will say from their very hearts, Amen, trusting without any doubt that it is yea, and answered in heaven as Christ has promised, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you shall receive it, and you will. Amen. So you, you, you see at the very beginning, where similar to our preface, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the, you know, he says, I want you to lift up your hearts with me and pray this. And so he's, he intends this to be very similar uh, to that, that preface. And then he connects it with, secondly, I admonish you in Christ, that you discern the testament of Christ in true faith, and above all, take to heart the words wherein Christ imparts to us his body and his blood for the remission of our sins, that you remember and give thanks for his boundless love, which he proved to us when he redeemed us from God's wrath, sin, death, and hell by his own blood, and that in this faith you externally receive the bread and wine, his body and his blood, as the pledge and guarantee of this. In his name, therefore, and according to the command that he gave us, let us use and receive the testament. And so this serves with the uh, German mass, the Deutsche Messe, as the exhortation, if you will. Luther goes on to say, whether such paraphrase and admonition should be read in the pulpit immediately after the sermon or at the altar, I would leave that to everyone's judgment. Now, you might remember when we talked about the pulpit, when we talked about the sermon part of the service, we said in prior times, after the sermon, there was this little like little service that the pastor conducted from the, from the pulpit. And he would, he would might read a psalm, you might sing a hymn, you might pray the Lord's Prayer, you might have, you know, there were several things that went on there, and, and uh, that was done. He is speaking, you know, listen, if you're going to do it here, you can do it there. It seems that the ancients did so in the pulpit. So that is still the custom, to read general prayers and to repeat the Lord's Prayer in the pulpit. But the admonition itself has become a public confession. So this second part, we call it the exhortation, has become kind of a, a public thing, a profession of faith, a confession. In this way, however, the Lord's Prayer, together with the short exposition, would be current among the people, and the Lord's and the Lord would be remembered even as he commanded at the supper. I would, however, like to ask that this paraphrase or admonition follow a prescribed wording or be formulated in a definite manner for the sake of the common people. We cannot have one do it one way today and another another way tomorrow. Let everyone parade his talents, confuse the people, so they can neither learn nor retain anything. What chiefly matters is the teaching and guiding of the people. That is why we must limit our freedom and keep to one form 
of a prayer phrase or an admonition, particularly in a given church or congregation, if for the sake of freedom it does not wish to use another. So he's saying, listen, when you get to the prayer, we ought to have a, a set prayer. That's what we have. When we get to the admonition, you ought to have a set one concerning that. If, if it's not universal in all the congregations, at least in that congregation, it ought to remain the same. So he's speaking uh, about that in connection with uh, the, uh, the German. What is surprising is, uh, is this. Eighteen ninety two, the Lutheran hymnal. It has the exhortation in the communion service after the Sanctus. 1918, it has the exhortation in the communion service. In 1913, it has the exhortation in the communion service right there. You know, like 1927, when it gets to the Sanctus, there's an asterisk. And at the end of the communion service, the asterisk has the exhortation listed, in which it says, you know, at, at, uh, at the, let's see, at the Sanctus, um, asterisk, for exhortation, see the end of this service. By the time we get to the red hymnal, mine's black. (laughs) By the time we get to the Lutheran hymnal, and then we get to Lutheran worship, it's not there, and it's not mentioned. It is found in, you know, 50 pages back or something like that, in what was called the corporate confession and absolution. And so if you want to use it, you can go there and use the corporate, and exhortation is found there. What about this? Um, you know, Luther talks about using it. The uh, Martin Chemnitz, who put together the church order uh, for Wittenberg and all of those around there, puts it in there and says, uh, has it in the service itself, and says this is to be used. He actually gives, and again, this is early on, he actually gives three forms for the exhortation that it is to be used, and says that if the pastor doesn't use this, um, you know, he is allowing the people to come forward without uh, examination, which can be to their harm. If you take a look at uh, uh, Bishop Sizer's book where we were going through, where it talks about all of the services follow the conclusion of the proper preface with the Sanctus. However, while the common service and ELHB retained the exhortation, a vital part of the 16th century Lutheran liturgy, the exhortation in TLH is removed to a separate order of confessional service. In this, TLH followed the common service book hymnal 1977, which had moved the exhortation 
to the order of public confession preparatory to the Holy Communion. What has happened? The result has been the virtual elimination of a key part of the Lutheran divine service, a development which would have been unimaginable for the Lutheran reformers. Martin Chemnitz, for example, in his church ardor uh, for Braunschweig Wolfenbüttel, <laughs> declares where such exhortation is not always given by our ministers and an even smaller portion of the parishioners is examined and admonished beforehand according to the church order it follows that the impenitent who live in offense and are burdened with coarse blasphemy persist therein and are be admitted to the Lord's Supper just like the penitent which is grievous and then he does talk about how they actually had three different forms. Um, so it's kind of surprising that uh, at, at a particular point it was uh, simply taken away. Um, and it's not in there. And unless the pastor goes to that and uses that from time to time, it, 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 people won't even know about it at all. Um, and, it, and it pretty well kind of fell out. Um, the, I've been using a explanation that was put together uh, concerning the parts of the liturgy, and it kind of went through with questions and answers, you know, and, and different things. And so, you know, about the hymn, and why do we use that? Here's what's fascinating, is that as I was going through this, I thought, well, what's it going to say about about the exhortation? Um, and And... Where I would have expected, I would have expected it to have been earlier, but it wasn't. I got to the Sanctus. Here's the uh, prefatory part. And then it gets to the prayers. And finally, there it gets to the Sanctus, and they sing it. And then, uh, <laughs> question 145. Why may the exhortation which is inserted at this point in the service be omitted? Because it makes a break in the service, and this is not the place for preaching. <laughs> what was the original purpose of the exhortation? Well, it was prepared by Volbrecht of Nuremberg, 1525, for the purpose of teaching the people who had been reared under Romish air the true meaning of the Lord's Supper. So we don't need to know that anymore. <laughs> so... Yeah, we're, 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 we're just, why can you omit it? Why can you leave this in every other part they have in there? But you, you, can, you can leave this out. And this was prepared only for the people that had problem with Romish air. And, and, and that's why. Let me get one more, one more. Because th- this, this kind of puts the, the, the last part of it. What I've been teaching you so far. Luther and his Latin service retained the entire preface, as did most. Uh, these frequently gave the preface in the Sanctus in Latin. Uh, they set German proper prefaces to music. In his German Mass, which emphasized homiletical features, Luther substituted an exhortation to communicants. Some orders uh, continued to do this on ordinary Sundays. The entire Bugenagen series kept both the preface and the exhortation. Uh, now, um, uh the service of 1818 included the exhortation as well as the preface, but placed the former after the sanctus. The framers of the common service book, believing the exhortation to have been called forth by the peculiar conditions 
of the Reformation period omitted it from the service proper and placed it where it more properly belongs in an order for public confession. So once again, what do they say? Well, yeah, the exhortation was there, but that was only because of the peculiar conditions which have been, they came out of Romish air, now we don't need this. That's why it was put to a back order. Uh, um, okay. Comments, questions? Rachel? If these people are speaking the same way that many people speak today when they try to tell us we've all evolved past the point where we need this. We've evolved into better human beings. So, you know, we don't need an explanation of why we do something. It's a complete backwards understanding of exactly what we need. You absolutely, like, need to know every single time. We have reached the age of enlightenment and (laughs) much better and worship much better than they ever did. Yes. Well, one of the 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 Romish condition has been replaced with the evangelical condition. Mm -hmm. Evangelicalism is worse than Rome. I hate to tell you that, but it's worse than Rome because. Nothing means anything to an evangelical. Mm-hmm. When, when, uh, so they do um, surveys from time to time. They do religious surveys, you know, and they ask crazy things like, uh, you know, do you believe that Christ's body and blood is in Lord's Supper? And then they ask a whole bunch of religious people, and then they publish it later, you know, and even churches that publicly profess this to be the case, Rome, Lutherans, you would not believe the high number of those that say, no, it's not present in Lord's Supper. And so, Pastor, you're giving an example of which, you know, maybe maybe the Romish share of sacrifice, yes, we need to explain, true, but there are other things as well in which you would say, has this gotten better? Just look at those. Look at those. Uh, uh, surveys that come out. It's we're back to the Adam and Eve problem of did God really say? Do these words really mean what they say? Because if you don't have the exhortation, then eventually your children who've just heard those words their entire life may not actually understand the meaning of those words. Nominalism has caused evangelicalism to be possible in a lot of ways because of bad teaching, which you know that will continue. But that's exactly what the problem is. Do you know what those words actually mean? Do they mean the same thing to you as they mean to your pastor? Or to the writers of the scriptures? Or to God? Mark? Um, the Lord's Supper is not a little thing. The exhortation reminds us why we're doing that. Because this is a thing you could easily find yourself doing every week and not thinking about, you know, not examining yourself, not thinking about why am I doing this. What the exhortation does is it not only keeps you from steering into error by, you know, by, by believing things that are not true, but also reminds you, each, you know, each time you, each time you hear it, this is why I'm doing this, and gives you, you know, it should be part of the self-examination you should be doing. So to me, it seems like leaving the exhortation out is inviting not only error, but, you know, inviting people to come before, come take the Lord's Supper without being ready to do so. 
it definitely, you know, when 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 they say it makes a break in the service, yeah, it does. Um, but it definitely makes you stop and and go, okay, yeah, yes, reading of the word's important. Yes, the sermon's important. Yes, you know, praying is important. When we get to Lord's Supper, for 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 you to stop and for the pastor to say, okay, here is, you know. It tells you its its importance. There is also something that you don't have with the Word, which you have with Lord's Supper. That might require a warning light. Yeah, because the Word will not hurt you. You can't take the Word to your heart. Mm-hmm. We do have warnings from our Lord concerning Lord's Supper that this can be taken to your judgment. We'll kind of talk about that. Um, and so, yes, that needs to happen. Tony Prosco. Yeah, uh, going back to whether or not uh, the body and blood is uh, what it says it is, I can remember being told that at the time of the Reformation, people would sneak out a host. They'd pretend to take it, go home and stick a knife in it, and didn't bleed. So then they didn't believe it was. That may have been part of where they come up with this idea. It was only a, a representation, but not the actual thing. Um. Correct. There were there were uh, uh, those who yes, um, the uh, that that would receive in the hand and then sneak out to feed to their pigs in the hope that it would make yeah. better sausage. I don't forgive their sins. I don't know. No, no. You make better sausage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and. And you know, um, I, I I had one time, one time when I um, uh, it, 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 I don't remember as a member or someone visit. I, I just don't remember. Um, I remember giving the Lord's Supper, giving the host, the body uh, of Christ, to a woman who, as in the hand. And as I went like this, I heard, click! She handed it down to her child. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, there can't, you know, uh, um, this is a warning uh, that, that something is, is, is going on with this. At the bottom of your, uh, one of your yellow sheets, in another document, an exhortation to communicants, uh, a pastor in Zwickau uh, asked, uh, Luther about an order of service. Um, he made a little criticism about the music, but he definitely suggested that this exhortation to the communicants be used. So this isn't the only time that that it is found uh, in that. Pastor? Well, this discussion was originally started out as this is a break. Okay? You have the, 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 the service of the word then you have this break. Well, where does this break take us? It, first of all, takes us right back to the beginning of the service 
where we have the confession and absolution. It also takes us right back to the garden where we find out what was the comment? Did God really say? See, our natural position is, did God really say? Well, how many times a day can you be told, yes, he did really say, and still not believe it? Well, if you don't have faith, you never believe it. But with faith, the word can, in fact, convince you that he did say it. It is the body and blood of Christ. God did create the world in seven days. All of the There was a flood. The, the Jews did come through the Red Sea on dry ground. All of those things are true. And if that, all of those things in the Old Testament are true, what is so hard about believing that the bread and wine are in fact the body and blood of Christ? There is no reason not to believe it because God said it. But my old sinful nature never believes that. It never believes that. After my heart stops beating, it goes away, but the new man stays. And so this break is really important. The first paragraph. If you set this section, this has the exhortation, set that on the right side, put the uh, Bible passages that say the exhortation in the divine service on the left side, and as it starts off, uh, Pastor Rune read for us, uh, Dearly beloved, Dearly beloved, for as much as we purpose to come to the Lord's Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes us diligently to examine ourselves as St. Paul exhorted us. It doesn't begin saying, insofar as lots of people are talking sacrifice, we thought we ought to have a couple words about this to make sure you get this right. What is the, as it starts off, what does it say? Believe the word. Scripture tells us. Whoa! The situation is not something. I mean, that would be fine. But this own exhortation says the reason we're doing this is because Scripture tells us to do this. Well, do you think that's passed away? You think that now? Oh, yeah. We progress so far that we no longer need to heed Saint Paul's (laughs) exhortation to examine ourselves. I guess we ought to take a look and see if, scripturally speaking, uh, they they got this right. That addresses him saying that it was peculiar to the Reformation, which right. really struck it, this me. This is not. This is the way the scriptures tell us true. concerning that. Um, all right, where do we find this? Uh, examine yourself. Uh, the one that says. Uh, the exhortation of the divine service, you turn that over, you got 1 Corinthians 11 at the top, uh, you go on down to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, uh, Paul says, but let a man examine himself, and lo- so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is an apostolic injunction that there ought to be examination 
before the receiving of the body and blood of Christ. Now, is this the only way that you can have examination? No, it's not the only way. But but there definitely ought to be in connection with that. Um, uh, maybe, you, maybe you've experienced it as well. I remember my grandfather told me about how he would go and visit the pastor. He would drive over to the past to the parsonage on Saturday night in order to announce that he was going to have communion the next day. And at that point, he told me, he said, well, he said, you know, no longer does everybody have to go. I can announce for the whole family. It used to be that grandma had to go along for this uh, uh, announcement, this examination, if you will, another different way. But but there was an examination uh, of, of, of some sorts, uh, which was that. I would guess that there was not only a, a list, you know, Oh, you came to visit. He put you on the list. Here's the list of those who are coming for communion. Uh, was fine. When I grew up, when you got to church on Sunday morning, there was a blank piece of paper in the back. You went in and signed your name that you were going to take communion. So we went from everyone announcing to just the head of the household announcing to signing a piece of paper Sunday morning three minutes before the service that we were taking communion. Um, and that was kind of, I, I guess it was that supposed to be the connection with the, well, the examination went away. All you have now was the, the sheet itself. Did you um, say three months before? Three minutes before. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't think that shoot made any. I mean, I don't think the pastor looked right, at it before right. or after. I don't think there was any. Um, and finally, that thing went away completely. I don't you know. We don't have that. Um, so you know, you kind of look and kind of go, well, what is is there an examination? Do we have that? Should there be something that goes with this? Um, uh, when I was talking about private confession absolution here in this particular church, and I was going to institute it and all, there was an elderly member of mine, and I said, listen, I don't know anybody that does this. I said, it says it's supposed to be done in the Book of Concord. And I said, so I'm a, I've been asking, I, I, sorry, there ought to be godly men around here that know how this works. Um, I go, not only is there confession and absolution, you know, but there was an examination. What do you believe about Lord's Supper? You know, you'd ask a couple questions. You would kind of go on. Um, finally, there was a man. His name was Frank Bohr. He told me, Pastor, I, you know, I used to go. I remember this. I used to go with, you know, his grandpa. Great, great. You know, so he came the one time, and I sat him down. And I said, good. You know, I'm a young pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. Tell me about this. You know, what happened? He said, well. You know, we went, we went to the pastor's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went inside, you know, sat down. And, and we said, we would like to take Lord's Supper. And he said, okay. And, 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 and he wrote down my name. And I go, and what happened next? And he said, how about them cardinals? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. He goes, we talked about the weather and the cardinals. Yep. Now we can text it. I went... Ah, you know, um, you know what? What at, at what point? What needs to happen with this? Um, but but it was it was not being done. 
um, at, at all. And, you, you know, you couldn't even trip over because there was nothing to trip over anymore or, or even to remember. So I think that this is something that uh, uh, definitely... <laughs> With everything else, you know, if, if you had Saturday night examination, if you had some other thing, we, we got nothing. Uh, this can be a very good thing. What do I have? So I included for you, I'm kind of uh, going out of time. Next time, I want to take a look at particularly Paul's words and in depth concerning this diligently examining ourselves, as Paul says. I want to start with 1 Corinthians 10. I want to get to 1 Corinthians 11. But I want you to note the scriptural references that are found uh, within this this exhortation. So, uh, this sacrament hath been instituted for the special comfort and strengthening of those who humbly confess their sins and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Note your yellow sheet. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all rotten righteousness. What is this for? Those who humbly confess their sins and desire forgiveness. But it uses the words hunger and thirst after righteousness. Look at the second passage. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... For they shall be filled. Ah! Already they're looking and saying, listen, this Lord's Supper is about filling your need. It is going to give you the righteousness that you hunger and thirst after. Next one. But if we thus examine ourselves, ah, 1 Corinthians 11.28, that's Paul's words, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So Paul says we're going to examine, then we're going to do this. This says, all right, we're going to examine ourselves. What are we going to find? What are we looking for? We shall find nothing in us but only sin and death. This is what we're going to uh, uh, to see from which we can in no wise set ourselves free. Look at the next passage, Romans 8, 2. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We can't. Uh, set ourselves free from this. We're bound by it. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ hath had mercy upon us and hath taken upon himself our nature so that he might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God and for us and for our deliverance suffer death and all that we by our sins have deserved. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Um, and the next one, the John 6, 5, uh, 56, uh, talks about how he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Oh, that comes down here, sorry. Uh, whoever is drink of this cup, believing the words, dwelleth in Christ and Christ in him. Uh, these words, eateth the bread and drink of this cup, uh, goes back to First uh, Corinthians uh, 10, Romans 4:25. The next one: He who was delivered up because of our offenses was raised for our justification. Next section: We should also do this in remembrance of Him, showing His death that He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification, rendering unto Him our most hearty thanks for the same. This is a, a 
thanks for what he is offering. We should take up our cross and follow him. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. John 13. uh, As we go on. uh, And according to his commandment, love one another even as he hath loved us. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And finally, it goes back to Paul's words in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, for we are all one bread and one body, even as we are all partakers of this one bread and drink of this one cup. So 1 Corinthians 10, 17, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. It summarizes in this uh, an immense number of scriptural themes. I mean, it it doesn't say, and and I guess I, I've seen the uh, examination uh, questions that uh, some churches have in the bulletin or whatever. Uh, you know, if you believe it's Christ's body and blood, check, then you can come to Lord's Supper. Yeah, but this one pretty well gives us kind of an, an entire, we ought to examine ourselves, we ought to want forgiveness, we look at ourselves, we can't set ourselves free, we need to uh, receive what he has given us, he will give us our righteousness, we'll make one with those who are around us, this is a communion not only with Christ, but with those who are around us, and uh, that we might use it for taking up our cross, loving one another, and showing ourselves to be one communion, one body in Christ. There is a lot in this. Um, as I said, next time I want to take a look particularly at the bottom of that page, 1 Corinthians 10, the top of the next, back of that page, 1 Corinthians 11, and see what is the context and why is Paul telling us that we ought to examine ourselves and what should we look for? When we find it, what should we do about it? Um, Let's take a look and see that this was not a peculiar situation for one uh, congregation, but instead this is something that uh, we should do in connection with uh, the receiving of the Lord's Supper. I have one comment. Anita. Um, As far as remembering, uh, all my mother did was call in. But I would say... During my confirmation, this all of this stuff that we're talking about here and memorizing and knowing all those Bible verses, that was well, well drilled into us. And should be. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures do say that we don't admit, that is, we don't let someone come to the Lord's Supper in the Lutheran Confessions once. We don't, we don't let this happen. That doesn't start this admission until first... Yeah, that's well done. Mm-hmm. This then becomes, you know, it's not a one and done. There's also a continual... But yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have provided for us a wonderful meal to receive the forgiveness of sins. We ask, dear Lord, that we might come hungering and thirsting for the righteousness which we don't find in ourselves 
so that we might receive your righteousness, your forgiveness of sins. And we ask, dear Lord, that in receiving it, that it might show forth in our lives of love towards one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.